Welcome to episode 330 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, guys, welcome along to episode 330 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. How you going, mate? I'm very good, and you? Well, what's the date today? Based uh, on, do, do you have any idea? September 25th, I think. Okay, I'll get home tomorrow. Nice. Yeah, 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 I'll get home tomorrow. I'll get home on the 26th, and uh, this is the last of the Bevan's Gone to Europe I Am Talks. Yes. And uh, we've been trying to make up some news, really, this week, haven't we? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so it's going to be an interesting show, but next week... We're actually back in the studios, back to normal, and we won't be talking about random crap. But we'll be do- we will be pre-recording because I'm going to Kaiteri Terry. Oh, man. <coughs> when so will we pre-record? You'll be, you'll be back on, what is it, Wednesday? Yep. Recording on Thursday or Friday. Straight back. I thought you were going up to Auckland. No. I thought we were going to Auckland on the way back. Oh, that's in October when we get back from Kona. Mm. It's a busy few months for you, isn't it? It's a busy few months. Oh, I look forward to seeing you on next week. I could. Yeah. <laughs> for, for a go. I've missed you. Yeah. It's been a month and I've been away and I've been talking to Joe every day saying, babe, I'm just missing John. There you go. Yeah. So anyway, I am talking proudly brought to you by... Coffeesofhawaii.com. The world's most delicious coffee. Extreme endurance. Just to make you better. And athlinks.com. And then you can show everybody else you've got better. There you go. Anyway, in this week's show, we've got a little bit of news. We've got um, an age group for the week. We've got a website of the week, John History's Lesson. Carrying on the Kona theme. Now we're back. This will be the last week of it, won't it? Uh, we're, we're, no, we'll carry on one more week next week. Oh, this, in the, the normal show. Yeah, 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 because oh. we want to get up to date. This this week takes us from 1995 up to 2000. Okay, and then um, we've got an interview with a guy called Neil Stevenson. girl. Oh, girl called Neil. Nell. Oh, you see, you see, you, I'm your, going fonts, your font's not big yeah. enough. Yeah, <laughs> okay, your font's okay. not big okay, enough. Okay, Nell, sorry. You can see why I thought there was Neil, but can't you? Oh, you can, yeah. yeah. Okay, so Nell Stevenson, and uh, tell me about that. So it's basically a nutrition um, interview. Uh, talk a lot about the paleo diet. She's a very strong advocate for it. And uh, and also talk a bit about training peaks and, and how plans work in training peaks. So listen up. Good times, rock and roll. A few questions and answers at the end, or is there not? Mm, can't remember. Because in the show notes, you've put that every week yeah. for the for the month I've been away, and every week I get to the questions and answers, and, and there's none. none. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, news proudly brought to you by SLS Try, and uh, well, let's start with this. How long do you predict about fifty minutes of news? Oh yeah, or maybe sixty. Yep, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. first of all, we've got some races coming up this weekend. Uh, you got the ICANN in Mallorca in Spain. You got the Chesapeake Man, Ooh. which is down in Cambridge. Maryland, United States of America. Uh, the Alba Man, we've had a number of people write in about the Alba Man. It's a race in uh, in Italy around a cool island, so another nice late season race. And then we've got Challenge Barcelona. Barcelona. And that's your news for this week. <laughs> <laughs> we've got no results, we've got nothing. <laughs> nothing. What, the, what else has been happening? The frustrating now? thing for us is we're going to come back and we've probably missed 10 good topics. Well, no, I, I, I would normally agree. If this would be July or something, Quite yes, we probably yeah. would. But at the moment, we're not really missing any big, big Ironman races. We are going to be missing a bit of uh, ITU John's update action. You know, there will be a little bit happening on that front. Yeah, um, people be gutted about that. I think the main thing we miss is the 70.3 Worlds, and that is, as we discussed uh, a couple of weeks ago, it's um, a pretty solid field. So that would be, be the one thing that we're going to miss out on. Can I pull out some random uh, side Twitch questions for you? Well, hold on. Uh, mentioning... Um, 
got to mention Slow Twitch because they gave me a little bit of uh, love the other day for my, uh, oh, my camp. Um, put a little bit of what, what's happening. Um, did you go on Slow Twitch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez, how'd you manage that? So, I, I, I know the right people. It's not what you know, mate. Um, but well, there was an interesting article on Slow Twitch, and this is going to be a few weeks old now because it came out this week we're recording, which is August 27th, is it? 7th or so, about a month ago. Um, 28th was, today. Jordan Rapp wrote a piece on Andrew Messick, and mm. he basically did Iron Man Montremblanc, and he did not want to make a song and dance about it or anything like that, about why he did it. But I'd just encourage you maybe to go onto Slow Twitch. Well, give us a wrap-up. Because, John, that's a month ago. It was a month ago. So a give us a wrap-up, people. So basically, Andrew Messick raced... He, Ironman, first time in, I don't know how many years, maybe five or six years that he's done an Ironman, totally unprepared, entered like the week before the race, as you can, because you're CEO, which is totally fine. No, that's, that's wrong, John. <laughs> inside inside trading, I'm not happy. <laughs> um, but the reason he raced was in honour of the guy that died, the guy, um, the in Hong Kong athlete, um, Andrew, somebody else, don't know his surname, yeah. uh, but and he basically wore his race bib from New York underneath his own race bib. Didn't tell anybody about this, but um, the old rapster uh, managed to sort of find out about it from um, just a couple of people, just side conversations. But and, and Andrew Messick initially didn't really want the story being written about it because he said, "Look, it's not about I'm, that. I'm not, it's not about the PR. It's not about that. I just something I wanted to do." Um, but the rapster wrote the piece, and it was, uh, it was pretty sensational. He went out and did that, and uh, I, he was uh, not really up for the challenge um, in terms of his fitness. You know, late preparation. But he still got around the course in under twelve hours. I think it was really? eleven something. Wow, so it's pretty impressive. Solid. And um, he just, they've got a good person at the helm at the moment, which is uh, good for WTC. We'll have to hook up an interview with them when we're in Kona again. I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah, we haven't really spoken to him for a while, but it's, wow, that's pretty cool. Because, mm. so. you, you know, I always go, you know, businesses is a funny thing, isn't it? You know, when you get you get businesses, have you watched that um, great documentary, The Smartest Man in the Room? No. Well, it's about Enron. You, you know, mm-hmm. have you heard about yeah, 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 yeah. And it's, it's seriously, if you want to watch it, there's two good interviews if you want to watch about finances. One's called The Smartest Men in the Room, and it it's really kind of shows you what happened behind the scenes with Enron. And uh, and they had two leaders who were very driven by the wrong things, and um, which obviously made them conduct behaviours that were pretty terrible. And that was, a, 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 like, probably one of the best documentaries I've ever seen called Inside Job, and it's around uh, the unethical behaviour of the Financial Institute around 2008. But... Um, it really does, you know, you, you look at great business and great business often has a leader who really comes from the right place, mm. you know, you know they, they come from a right place and they come from a place that's actually about more than just making profit. Mm. And, uh, you know, for Andrew, you know, Sheep, is, we've, we've dealt with him a few times and he always seems to be pretty honest and upfront. And, you know, and, and I think the other thing is from the outside looking in with business, you can, you know, I'm a business owner and, and you have these dilemmas within the business and people looking outside may be critical of you, but sometimes his business decisions are hard. Mm. And uh, but he seems to conduct himself in, in ways that, are pretty pretty respectable aren't they hmm. and yeah. you know like if we think back to you know us talking on the show about WTC in the last you know five years of the show it's always mm. been pretty highly critical really mm. and we used to feel kind of bad because we were in a place where it was like oh, we've got to find something good that they're doing and yeah. it, you know what well, overall they were doing good work but there were definitely some fundamental things which showed a company that was based on how do we make profit mm. and then everything else comes second and it seems to be that in the last year it's been a bit of a shift, and uh, that you know they haven't got everything right, and you know, and we'll pull them up on that. But Andrew definitely seems to be you know a business leader who comes from the right place. And cheapest mate, the fact that he, within his own kind of mano. Now, how would you describe mana? Um, 
kind of personal credibility. Yeah, credibility. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mana is a, is a Maori word for for kind of someone who kind of has a presence that's pretty cool. And for his own mana to kind of step by the wayside and go, you know what, I'm going to do this for this reason mm. is, I oh, know it's pretty cool. That no, was very impressive. Mm. Um, what we're going to do now is a discussion of the week from about a month ago. Didn't pull it up. <laughs> because uh, we're struggling for news this week. And well, because there is none in our world. Exactly. Well, there is. There's a lot in the show that you listen to. What show are we doing this week? Uh, 3.30. Okay, so in 3.30. No, 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 no. What show are we recording on for today's show? What number? Yeah. Uh, must be, I guess, 226. Yeah, something. so listen to 226 if you want some news. Great news week, that one. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the discussion of the week from, yeah, back in mid, mid-August was uh, was sent in. It was really, um, there was a, a race in America. It was a USAT race, and they had the swim. And halfway through the swim, when it was wave starts, they decided to change the swim course. And in the end, they threw out the swim times, I think, and uh, and people's results were all a bit screwed up. And some people did a long swim, some people did a short swim. Uh, and should there be a better solution? And we've had so many races this year, you know, whether it be challenge races, whether it be Ironman races that have either been shortened or the swim's been cancelled or Ironman New York, the swim nearly got cancelled. And we always seem to have a different solution in terms of uh, what should be done. So it's interesting to know from you guys, the athletes, what, what you would prefer to happen if the swim is going to get cancelled. Yes, it's going to suck, but how are they going to run this race? Assuming that the the full bike and full run is still going to take place, whereas in Taupo a few years ago they obviously shortened that. So, um, do you think they shouldn't have shortened it? You think in Taupo they should have just? Or was it? It was a bit of a messy time, wasn't it? By the time they made the decision, they yeah. lost hours, hadn't they? It does. If you can bike ninety k's and run twenty one, why can't you do the full thing? So yeah. I guess maybe time wasn't on their side, but I don't know. I, th- I, th- I think that first year, like the second time it happened, it won't happen that way again because yeah. they they just weren't ready for the. For the swim to yeah. not not happen, so that was yeah that wasn't particularly well handled, I don't think. Um, so Chris Haig said that this is a pretty full on suggestion: a run equal to the run at the end of the race. Uh, a run equal to the run and at the end of the race. So you basically do a double run. So you would if you were at an Ironman race, you'd run forty two k's, you bike one hundred and eighty, and you'd run forty two. No, but she's got or Chris has got here. A run equal to a run at the end of the race, so a 13.1 mile run. At a 70.3, so you do a 13.1 mile run, you do the bike and then you do another 13.1 miles. Really? Tough, yes, insane maybe, long day definitely, but at least you get your money's worth. Can't see that one happening. No, I can't, but I'll I'll talk to that later. Okay, Samuel um, Wilkinson's got make it a bike run uh, to reduce the advantage you arguably would give the runners if you turn into a run-bike-run affair. Mm. Dean Goff thinks the potato sack race is the way to go. (laughs) Nice. We've got Luke Peel and he's got uh, run-bike-run, but increase the length of the bike to keep the same run-bike ratio up. E.g., 180, normally it's a 180 bike and a 42 run, make it a 10 Two two three forty two. You guys, I'm loving the epic factor. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, Gary Fegan. He was adding to the uh, to the potato sack race. He was also suggesting a three legged race, then a potato sack race. Wow, it's amazing. Lucy Francis. It depends on what you call bad weather. But if you have to cancel the swim, my favourite bit, by the way, let's get started on the bike and turn it into a race of a bike run. 
Um, Richard Houghton, I would prefer a run to break up the, the field rather than a TT start, but logistics on getting shoes and when, to, and when decision made will affect this. After the experience that I'm in New Zealand this year, I'm happy with any race rather than no race. I'd rather do a much shortened run-bike run than have nothing. Ed Stanley, turn it into a run-bike a run, run with equal runs, but alter the distance of the second run to compensate. As an example, you could have to cancel if you have to cancel the swim at Lanza, turn it into a duathlon, but with two, say, 25k runs rather than a five and a 42. This way, everyone feels they're getting their money's worth. The field gets much more spread out than doing a five little 5k run, which is a good point, and there's less drafting problem. But the total run isn't so far above the marathon distance that it favours athletes who could have prepared for a different distance. James Ogilvie, start the race off with a 10k run, but reduce the marathon by 5k. Finishing time should be fairly similar to a normal Ironman. David Mitchell, Mitchell um, has got, at New Orleans 70.3 this year, they just sent waves off for two mile runs just to break off the field. That was good enough for me. No matter what they do, it won't be the same as what you've trained for, so they'll just have to try to have fun and get on with it. Best thing the organisers can do to swim is to protect the water to start with. My last one, Duncan Stevenson should never have cancelled. Should never cancel a race because of heat or cold. I'm in Austria this year, 38 degrees. Just suck it up. For, same for everyone. We've got Matt Lipper, and he's got. I raced in the 2011 National Olympic Triathlon in Washington D.C., and they cancelled this one a few days before. It was reduced reduced to a bike run, but with around 3,886 participants, a mass start wouldn't work. They did. Uh, they still did age group wave starts, but within each wave, they would only let around 12 participants go off every 20 to 30 seconds. This made for a much less congested T1 and spread everyone out a bit. The one issue was that there were such a stream of athletes that drafting on the narrow course was nearly impossible to avoid, and everyone didn't spread out much. However, I never thought that I was so crowded that it was unsafe. So I think uh, if it's an Ironman, it should be run, bike, run. Chuck a sort of 4 or 5k run in before and then do 180 and 42 just to split things up a bit. I'd, I'd, you'd you know, still like be the, congested. I like the idea of, as much as Chris Hay was kind of pretty out there, I like the idea, you know, like the thing is, okay, you turn up time in New Zealand. When, when it was cancelled twice, isn't it? Well, you know, it hasn't been the full distance twice. Yeah, I think so. Well, a couple of years ago. I mean, it was certainly a few years ago when it was reduced to a – at 70.3. Or and that was a handicap, I can't remember. Run bike. Anyway, anyway. Bike run. Yeah, so you turn up to those years, and you know what? Sometimes these things are going to happen. Unfortunately, with water, there's a risk factor that, you know what? Sometimes the race directors just can't, you know, you've got to look after athletes. So you turn up to those years, and you walk away from those years always with a sense of disappointment. Mm-hmm. You know, you always walk away and you're going, oh, yeah, I did 2000, you know, Nine, you know, this year I did it, and you know, and as the year, you know, and you kind of now, Chris, this is a crazy idea. But if you turn up to 2009 and you ran, you know, a half, and then you ran, did the bike, and then you ran, did a full, that would almost go down and hit, you'd be legendary, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's kind of what you want from an Ironman, isn't it? You kind of want to walk away going, you know what, I, I faced the battle. And and if anything, I'm not sure if that's the right formula, but I kind of think that maybe what they should do is is not put it a 5K run, actually make it a bit more epic so that you kind of walk away from it going, yeah, I did 2009 and it was crazy. And, you know, and because I think that's ultimately for, you know, other than the people who are trying to win their age group or, or the pros, 
you know, are pretty conditioned to distance. And, you know, everyone will be conditioned to distance, but ultimately most people out there want to face that challenge. And, you know, when they did the 70.3 or the bike run 70.3 distance, everyone would have walked away disappointed. Like lots of people mm. didn't even race. Mm. But if you woke up in that morning or the day before and said, no, nah, we're turning into, you've got to run a half marathon, do the full bike and then do a marathon again. Mm you've got to face all the demons that an Iron Man puts in front of you. And I think maybe that's actually a better way to go about doing it. Not a bad suggestion. Mm. It would be a very tough day. Can you imagine running? I mean, not being yeah. prepared and running 60Ks. Yeah, but, you know, that, that would be the journey, wouldn't it? And, you know, that would be, if anything, harder than an Ironman. Mm. And, you know, you'd, you'd then walk away with that kind of badge of pride and the idea that, hey, yeah, I did 2009. And, you know, like for me, I did a Kona in 2004, and it's kind of renowned as the hardest year or one of the hardest years Kona ever has really put out there weather-wise. And I had a crap time, but mm-hmm. I love the fact that I did that race, you know? And so what, what about regards to, just because I'm trying to get more time out of this one, oh, yeah. regards <laughs> really? to um, the idea of that when the swim started, what do you think there? That is a very tricky and it's a race organiser's nightmare. And so I think you've got to be thinking so fast on your feet. And it's, um, I guess for me, this has actually highlighted a, another, you know, I've got quite a few contingency plans um, in place for, for my event, uh, uh, which I put on. I don't think I can have the same thing where the swim's going to be a big issue. But if I was doing a river event, something like this where there was tides, I guess you should really be think, giving this quite a bit of thought mm. before the race. Um, but generally I say you just got to restart the race. Um, the only thing that could stop that, I guess, is if it's a massive race is your traffic management plan and your... Your, uh, your water safety plan, how that's going to be impacted, and you need to have those things in place before the event. So I don't think this is going to be. Yeah, I haven't really got any fantastic suggestions. But how would that. you restart the race? Like, would you give it an hour break or a oh, pretty short break? You know, you would? Uh, yeah, yeah. Because there is a disadvantage to the people who maybe swam yeah. thirty minutes. I've, I've been in a race where they restarted it before. Uh, New Zealand Secondary Schools race, and uh, oh, here we go. Back in Nam, probably nineteen ninety. I think it was our last year at school and I was uh, one of the hot favourites was me and one other guy with the favourites for the race who was the other guy? Will Smith he's still bloody racing oh no he went on to movies didn't he? he did, did go on to movies yeah, yeah. and uh, it was in this lake in Lake uh, Blue Lake in, in Rotorua and we, we everybody were knew you, were you cocky? Um, when, you were, you, when you walked into a race and you knew you were kind of I'm the man uh, yeah I was I was I, I, I should have done. Should have done a little bit better than I did, but I oh, didn't win. I got third. Oh. Um, uh, should have got second. Anyway, but the other guy spanked us by by bloody miles. Oh, but anyway, they break your heart because you're going in thinking you yeah me or, me or will. Yep. And this other guy comes out nowhere. He, he was a can- He had a little cancer thing going on as well, and he had that oh, cut so out. He had the story <laughs> as well. He still kicked our ass. <laughs> it breaks your heart. <laughs> um, but basically, with the deal with the lake, we, we knew that you could run along the side of the lake well, and you could get a nice head start. You know, you'd run along and then you'd run in through the shallow waters, whereas if you yep. just took the straight line to the first bore, you'd have to basically be straight swimming straight in swimming. Yeah. So the gun went off and a bunch of us just ran alongside and just bolted in and then dived in there. And... Uh, they weren't happy with that, were they? weren't happy with that. We were swimming along, and I was—I think I was leading maybe at the first buoy, and there was, there was a boat, you know, normally you have a lead boat, but there's a boat sort of zigzagging <laughs> in front of us, and I was like putting my head out saying, get the hell out of the way, you're in the bloody way, get out of the way. <laughs> and uh, I was just drilling it and uh, come out of the water. And, um, oh, half, so you did the whole swim? Yeah, and then they said, oh, and half the field was, was sitting there, and they decided <laughs> to restart it. And so they gave us about 10, 15 minutes or something like that and then restarted. So I'd swum the whole swim and a lot of the other guys had not done the whole swim. I was a little bit dark about that. I think that cost me, cost me the win. I actually, I agree. Yeah. But, but John, the thing is, if the... If I don't got, know why they didn't just stop the boat in front of me and just make me bang into the boat. And why then did, I would have stopped. And why didn't they, why did they tell you off for running down, like, it's not illegal, is it? 
Uh, it's it's not illegal, but they made the judgment call that I guess we were getting a unfair advantage. Technically, you know what? There's a, there's a course, and as mm. long as you're staying within the course. Mm. But they hadn't thought about it. You see that us little schoolboys, we always try to scheme it right here. Them. So there you go. There you go. That was this week's discussion of the week. They gave us an extra four minutes. Nice. Good times. Okay. So sponsor. Oh, we're up to twenty minutes. Here we go. Got to push on. We have got lots to get through this morning. Mm. We're basically doing a four and a half hour epic show this yep. morning two two days in the last kind of four days we got an epic okay so SLS try John tell us about it so one thing that um, with SLS make sure you use the code S, uh, IM Talk, and you get 20% discount off anything in uh, in the shop um, remember guys if you're ever sure or unsure don't email us go to our website www.imtalk.me and we've got all the codes under sponsors mm. there and you, so you can get all the codes for the products one thing that I'm really um Stoked with with all our sponsors, they do quite a bit for the for the rest of the community. You know, um, Coffees of Hawaii support a number of different organisations in terms of open water, um, local sort of local things and yep. outrigging. They put one percent back to the planet. The one um, that this that uh, SLS sort of stand up for this is a controversial one. Yeah, Sea Shepherds so stand up for the oceans. Help us support Sea Shepherds' ongoing efforts to defend the ocean wildlife by purchasing SLS gear. SLS will donate one dollar of every item sold to Sea Shepherd. Sea Shepherd is an international non-profit ocean wildlife conservation organisation whose mission is to end the destruction of habitat and slaughter of wildlife in the world's oceans. Um, so it's just good that, you know... Do you know much about Sea Shepherd? Uh, a little bit, yeah. It, yeah. Is, a bit, it is a bit controversial. Oh, yeah, totally. They, they, they do it in controversial ways, but they're, they're, they're doing it for the right reasons. Exactly. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's pretty cool. It's just good that, you know, the companies that are supporting IM Talk also have got a passion about um, not just looking at the bottom line and they're, and they're also looking after the environment, which is good. So um, get your gear on slstry.com, use the code IMTALK, and also know that uh, you're supporting a good cause as well. Totally, because you can own that. So let's say you're watching news and see Shepard have done something really good, and you go, yeah, I, I did that, because exactly. you bought some SLS. Exactly. Just check it out, slstry.com. Okay, John, do you want me to put some music on? Uh, what are we doing? I'm not quite sure. There we go, Age Group. I'll put some yes. music on. Here we go. Age Grouper of the Week. What were you looking at? Because John's never, never land. No, no, I was um, reading the Age Grouper of the Week. Okay, it comes from Try Juice, Nickelator. Nickelator, I made that one up. Well, Juicinator, even. <laughs> yep. Uh, I'd like to name, nominate, he's pretty good at the old Age Grouper. It's him he in is. the Mountain Snail. Yeah. Are probably the most generous donators mm-hmm. of Age Groupers, so they're good people. Uh, I'd like to nominate James Lawrence as Age Grouper of the Week slash two months. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's a, it's, 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 it's a pretty age grouper of the year. In yeah, terms of he's not, let's not be he's, too selfish. He's, he's, uh, he is doing a fairly big um, big thing. Okay, James Lawrence, a.k.a. Iron Cowboy, is one of crazy and athletic triathlete from Linton, Utah. On January 1st, he began the quest to set a new world record for the Iron Distance Triathlons in one year, a quest that would make take him around the world, Oceania, South America, Africa, Europe in North America on a 4,218-mile challenge, swims 272 miles, bikes 3,360 miles, runs 786 miles. Just last week, now this is, when did we get this, John? Uh, August the 1st. Okay, so this is a while ago, but based on this show. Just last week, James, uh, age group athlete, competed in his eighth iron distance in eight weeks, Four of those within the US and other four in Europe. Hits triathlon, he went, did the Hits triathlon, he did Regensburg, he did Coeur d'Alene, he did Austria, he did um, 
Ultraman. Ultraman. He did Ironman Sweden, Ironman Lake Placid, hits triathlon in Sterling. He's been pretty consistent with his time, hasn't he? He, he, he obviously had a pretty bad Ultraman in France. Yeah, that's because that's insanely difficult. But if you look at all his other races to this point, he's basically set under the 12-hour mark. Yeah, you know, 11, and a half, 11 and a half to 12 hours. Pretty much every time. Nice. If anything, he's getting a little faster. Put, uh, this put James at 17 completed Ironman distance triathlons since January the 1st. He actually has raced 18 races, but can't count Ironman New Zealand because it was changed to a 70.3 distance race. To compensate for the loss and to make it uh, 30 years, added the Ultraman Iron Distance in the Pyrenees. He still has 13 Ironman races uh, triathlons to complete uh, by the end of the year. He will do this. Conclude. Um, he will conclude this attempt on Sunday, the second of December, in Palm Springs, California, at the Hits Triathlon Series National Championship race. Amazingly, James has competed, uh, completed his stretch of eight races with respectable times. If you factor in the lack of rest and the travel he is doing, he's no stranger to challenges like this. Back in 2010, James set the first triathlon-related world record, Guinness World Record, by a completing 22 Ironman 70.3 races in 30 weeks. As a part of my his world record feat, he is at the same time trying to raise awareness and funds for our own quiet way to build water retention systems dams throughout northern Kenya. And he's got some links here that we'll put on the show notes. So hope you can give him a great mention. And of course, Nick, uh, Nick Morales, the juice and odor, sponsoring him by... Trimapper, so check out trimapper.com. Trimapper.com. Is that, uh, somebody else sent us through an email. I think he's actually got the record now, by now. No, no, he's still going. No, but I think he's, because the record, oh, was... T- no, he's still going. So he's, he's trying to do 30 Ironmans in a year, and that's being, uh, somebody else sent us through an email stating that Guinness Book of Records are going to, um, uh, that is going to be the world record, so doing 30 Ironmans in one year. Now, he's, he's been communicating with us. Okay. Yeah, he's emailed, he sent me a couple of emails over the times because when he was in, in New Zealand, he was looking for accommodation. And um, we've got to get him on the show. Okay. When, at the end of the year, we'll get him on the show and hand him into you because yep. I'm fascinated to see what you go through mm. to make it work. You know, like there's a, there's a huge cost outside of the athletic cost, you know, obviously financially and, and um, you know. Putting life on hold. Oh, you're you putting know, life on hold. 30 and, weeks. You're about, you're gonna, you're basically, he, he must be either have a job where he can do it on the road or you're basically taking a year off work. Massive commitment, eh? Hey? Yeah. And then, then you go, well, what's it like physically, you know? Mm. And, and it'd be interesting to see what kind of training he does because if you're doing eight Ironmans and eight weekends... I'm picking you, a lot. You're not training a lot, are you? That's your training. You know, you're, 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 <laughs> like, how do you make that work? Yeah. Uh, yeah, fascinating stuff. 30 Ironmen. Yeah. So very nice work. So he's, he's passed halfway. And uh, and we may have to give him, we may have to give him another age group of the week. Nom- we'll give him an interview and honorary. He may, even, on- he may get honorary, honorary, honorary mention. Yeah, honorary, honorary yeah. mention. Yeah, maybe get age group of the year. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, so outstanding, and he's doing it for good cause. If you want to go and support him, um, go to trymapper.com slash try and give a damn. Um, but that's Nick Morales's one. But also we'll have a link on the website to go and give James a bit of support for his. Organization, which was in our own quiet way to build water retention systems throughout northern Kenya. I hope he's getting the PR because you kind of go, you know, that what those guys can do is they can go to local media 
and get on the media and, and hopefully, you know. I bet he would be. And in a local sense, yeah, I imagine that just in Taupo, I'm sure, you know, they're always looking for angles and that mm. would be a story that they'd look for. So I, I would think he probably Because I'm sure the motivation for him is about exposure to his mm. to his um, organisation. Mm. Um, wow, it blows my mind. So good luck, mate. Keep it up and uh, we'll talk to you later in the year. Um, uh, anyway, John, we've got, a, we've got an interview coming up and it's proudly brought to you by Athlinks. Um, but tell us about the interview. So Nell Stevenson um, got put onto her by the guys at trainingpeaks.com. She's, uh, um, you'll hear in the intro, she's a very impressive athlete and also uh, a nutritionist. And so we're just going to hear about what Nell's got to say. She's, uh, maybe catch up with her in Kona as well. She's like a solid athlete. Is she going to be racing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, some interesting stuff. Oh, yeah. Who <laughs> was that? Your man, Randy Savage. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Here's Nell. I'm sure she loved that kind of just before we started interviewing her. Here we go. Very, very happy to come back to a topic that we discussed uh, some time ago um, around nutrition and uh, specifically around the, the paleo diet. Um, I think it was episode 264 we had Lauren Codain on the show um, discussing the paleo diet and all sorts of controversy that, that sort of followed on from that. Um, and today we're very happy to have uh, Nell Stevenson on the show. She's a qualifier for, to qualified for Kona. She's had top 10s in Kona. She's a 301 marathoner and uh, she's also been an age group winner on the 70.3 circuit. So welcome along to the show, Nell. Thanks so much for having me. No problem. So can you give us a bit of background? I've just given a very quick summary of your, your athletic background, but um, maybe just give, give us a bit of background in terms of your nutritional side of things, where you've sort of come from. Certainly. My education began with, um, aside from a love of an interest of health and fitness and all things about nutrition from as long as I can remember, I did my schooling at the University of Southern California where I earned my degree in exercise physiology um, and studied nutrition there as well. After that, I also attended culinary school. So I, um, for the last 17 years, I have been doing personal training. Um, and then over the past uh, several nearly a decade. I've been paleo for seven years. I integrated what I learned through paleo um, in my own life into everything that I do with my clients. And I lead by example in terms of showing that you can in fact be completely paleo while being not only a, an endurance athlete, but a successful endurance athlete. In fact, my performance improved significantly when I, when I became paleo compared to when I was eating the more traditional mainstream types of sports nutrition. So I offer um, all sorts of support to my clients, custom paleo nutritional counseling, download plans locally. I offer personal training sessions as well um, as uh, food demonstrations and uh, I'm able to offer a very comprehensive approach to people that are interested in, in living the paleo lifestyle. So, um, you know, one of the th areas, you, as an athlete, you use training peaks and um, you also use that with, with some of the plans you, you come up with. If somebody's out there, um, they maybe put paleo to one side, but if they're, they're looking to try to make some sort of change in their in their diet, what, what are the sort of some of the first steps that they should take, whether they're going to paleo or whether they're just trying to, to eat healthier? You know, do you often say, right, before you even want to approach me, you need to be tracking your nutrition for, for a week? A month or what are some of the first steps people need to make? Well if somebody is interested in doing custom counseling or even doing a one-hour consultation and they're concerned with they, they may describe symptoms they're having or issues and that type of thing so yes absolutely I want to see what they're eating so I know where we're coming from because if I didn't have that information it would be very arbitrary guesswork so 
Yes, I like to see not only what people are eating, how often are the meals balanced, how are they changing their meals before and after training compared to on days when they're not training, are they recovering properly, how much water are they drinking, are they taking any supplements, or, or certainly if they're taking any medications, I need to know about that as well, and what's their sleep like. So all these factors really contribute to somebody's ability to train properly, recover properly, and, uh, and become a healthy, more, um, more productive and more successful athlete compared to somebody that's just kind of plodding along. So, so when you made the change, you know, I assume given you'd been to culinary school and you had a really strong background in, in um, nutrition anyway, and uh, what, what were some of the challenges you, you faced when you sort of first moved across to paleo? Well, I think it was easier for myself as well as people that have any type of, uh, of an issue, whether it's a mild um, a mild illness or something severe, once you find out what some, that something you're eating is actually causing all the harm and that by simply removing that product from your diet, you feel so much better, it becomes much easier to stick to it versus wanting to cheat and go back and eating that particular food. So that part made it easy. Um, the difficult thing was learning how to eat like an athlete because m- most of the information out there, unfortunately, seems to say paleo doesn't work for endurance training. And my take um, from personal experience with many clients I've worked with who've come to me saying, I tried paleo, it didn't work, but I want to give it another go. Usually after a series of questions, I find out that they weren't doing paleo properly. And this is really, really common. So for example, they'll they'll read the basics and they'll understand that paleo does not include any grain, any dairy, any or any legumes. So they take all those things out, but along with that, go, out goes most of the things that are that are targeted towards us endurance athletes to eat, such as bagels and protein, uh, you know, protein bars and uh, pre-race pasta feeds and most of the things that are targeted to us do contain dairy grains and legumes. So what they'll do is they'll take those things out and then they won't replace them with anything. Um, And the key is that uh, the starch of choice for endurance athletes, depending on where in the world somebody lives, is either going to be the sweet potato, the yam, or in certain, uh, I've got clients in New Zealand and Australia that um, source a similar product called the Kumara. So that's the important thing is that it's not, it's not, no, you, I, I, I wouldn't suggest that somebody goes and does an Ironman after they've had a big bowl of broccoli and some steak. Um, that's not what it's all about. It's balance. Yes, that might be the, 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 the bulk of one meal, but not certainly not before endurance training. So it's understanding how the food changes before and after workouts. What do you eat during? Is there, you know, is there room for other things in the diet um, to support endurance training? And just really being familiar with that. And that can really be the that can really be what makes or breaks whether or not somebody's successful with paleo. Because that, that's, I guess, the common concerns people are probably going to come up with is, as you've said, is that that first step is, is trying to eliminate the, the wheats, the grains, the refined sugars, and that's is a staple of a, an endurance athlete. You know, if you're thinking, you know, say, you know, an average athlete wants to go out for a, you know, a six-hour ride, they're probably going to have a, you know, some sort of muesli-based breakfast when they're out on the on the session. They'll often be having gels, bars sandwiches whatever um, and then when they come back it's, it's obviously um, going to be quite often sugar based stuff that they, they come they have when they come in so what what sort of things do you eat um, before during and and after training just to get the, the quantities of food in that you need Certainly. So, and I've I've done several posts about this too because there's certainly a need for this information, but my breakfast of choice that I've had before every important training day, every important race, hands down for the past seven years, and it always works, 
is I, I make a smoothie and I use green tea that I've brewed the night before and chilled in the refrigerator as the liquid base. And then I'll have very ripe spotty banana, which is a high glycemic fruit, natural, great source of um, potassium as well. And I will blend that in the blender. I will add different types of fat. Sometimes I'll use raw almond butter. Sometimes I'll use coconut oil. And then I'll use... <clears throat> Excuse me. Depending on where I am, if I'm at home and I know that I can get fresh, local, cage-free eggs that are relatively low risk, I will use raw egg in my smoothie. However, I'm not comfortable doing that when I'm traveling or if I'm in a place that I don't, I'm not familiar with. I certainly would not recommend going to any random grocery store and eating raw <laughs> eggs. Um, so for, in those instances, I use an egg protein powder. And the, people have to be careful with that because often things are labeled as egg protein powder, but once you go and read the label, it's actually egg mixed with soy or rice or pea. Unfortunately, there's even a product line out there called paleo something, yet the protein is a pea and a rice powder, which doesn't make any sense because those aren't remotely paleo. <laughs> so um, so those are what I'll use. I'll throw in, um, sometimes I'll throw in some L-glutamine, which is an amino acid, which I'm sure you're familiar with helps with recovery, mm. um, and a pinch of salt. That's one other thing to clarify in the paleo diet is that traditional paleo, if you're not an athlete, does not, uh, does not suggest using salt in the diet. Um, that's because most of the typical American diet, typical diet these days, is very high in sodium and very low in potassium, which is exactly the opposite of what we want our diets to be, which is what paleo is, which is very high in potassium and low in sodium. However, for an endurance athlete to be following paleo and not salt their food um, would actually be foolish because we're out there sweating. We need to replace our electrolytes. Um, so following along that um, that theme, that's the reason why one of the things that I use when I'm training and racing is uh, I use an electrolyte supplement, but I just prefer to use a pill. Um, mm -hmm. There's a, uh, I, I like a certain brand that has um, potassium, sodium, magnesium, and calcium. There's a couple of electrolyte tablets out there that are quite fizzy that um, people can put in their water. Um, unfortunately, those tend to cause gastric distress in many people. Often the chemical, the sugar alcohol, sorbitol, which is a low calorie, low carbohydrate derivative of sugar, which is also used as a binding agent, can cause gastric distress in a lot of people, cramping, bloating, diarrhea. Uh, it's really unfortunate when that happens in a race. Um, and the, the problem that same sorbitol is actually clinically used as a laxative. So when I tell people that, you know, they're wondering, why am I getting a stomach ache when I'm taking this particular electrolyte supplement? Well, that could be why. Um, so that's something to look out for. You'll see it in sugar-free chewing gum, sugar-free mint. A lot of times you'll see it in those low-carb bars, if you will, um, low-calorie things. So the sorbitol and the maltitol are, uh, are in, in particular, tend to cause the most issues. So that's, um, I know I've been off on a, a bit of a tangent, but that's the smoothie I make. In addition to the smoothie on the side, I'll have baked yam that I'll put some salt on. Um, and that's what I'll do for every long workout. Um, if I've got a big race or a big training weekend ahead, I will add yam to my paleo meals um, getting ready for the day. So rather than having a, you know, a giant meal of you know, copious amounts of pasta the night before a training weekend, I'll have a little bit of yam with my breakfast, a little bit of yam with uh, my snacks, and a little bit of lunch with my meals the day mm -hmm. before or two days before, depending on how long the race is. If it's an Ironman, I'll, I'll start doing that maybe on um, two or three days before, whereas if it's a marathon, maybe just the day before. Um, so that's what sustained me to, to prepare. During training and during racing, this is the time that I've always been very candid about disclosing. This is the one time I use something that's not paleo, which is a carbohydrate gel. Mm -hmm. um, that's the only non-paleo thing that I use. 
And the reason I use it is because there's currently not a paleo version of it on the market. I am working for um, working with a couple of um, food scientists to develop one, but as of right now, there isn't one available. And the problem with, um, you can get away with being completely paleo on a long aerobic-based type of a training ride, and those types of things I might do with, I'll bring some yam along and some salt, uh, salted yam, some ripe banana, some coconut oil. Coconut oil is actually uh, a really good thing to include in your diet. It's, it's the most quickly digesting fat. Um, and as you know, for some of the longer rides um, and trading sessions, you might want to actually include some fat as well as some protein. So sometimes I'll bring along some homemade jerky um, that you know for sure doesn't have any additives or junk that you don't want to eat in it. So the, those are some of the things you can eat while you're training for the, the, longer, the longer aerobic stuff. However, Soon you start to increase intensity and your heart rate is um, basically requiring the blood to go to the working skeletal muscles, you as a result leave a lot less blood available to digest the uh, food you're putting into. So if you were to eat a bunch of solid food while you were doing a really high intensity workout, um, you'd be lumped, you're sort of left with this lump of food in the gut that's going to take a long time to empty. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons why we would want to make sure not to eat solids um, during a really high intensity workout. So. That, that's my rationale for using the carbohydrate gel. Um, the brand that I use is does not have artificial color, artificial flavor, um, artificial sugar, and it's got a really good electrolyte panel. So that's my formula, and that's really been what I've used um, to, without any issues for a very long time now. After cool. the, yeah, after the race um, or after the workout, um, people can refer to Dr. Cordain's book, The Paleo Diet for Athletes, which he co-wrote with Joe Friel. Um, and they have a wonderful recovery recipe in there called homebrew. And that's something you make at home yourself. Again, using a high glycemic fruit, I usually prefer banana. Um, and you can vary it by what type of fruit you use. And it's a ratio based on your body weight of, um, again, the same sugar that's used in the gels, as well as egg protein powder um, and the fruit, as well as some salt. And really that, that recovery drink works better than anything that I've tried. And I've tried them all before I was paleo. Trust me, I tried pretty much every product that was out there on the market. You make your homebrew right after the longer workout, um, and then you gradually return to normal paleo eating. And that's that's really, it's quite simple, um, and people tend to overthink it because unfortunately we, you know, myself included, back in the early days when I first started racing, you you kind of get the message that you need to be eating bars and gels and blocks and this mm. and that, all these different products. The sugars are off balance. You're not going to digest them properly. You probably end up with a stomach ache, and it's it's just a real mess, and it's a huge disappointment to train, you know, for months or sometimes even a year if somebody's getting ready for their first long race and to have it all go pear-shaped because you had a stomach issue. Sponsor. Okay, we've got athletes.com. And John, what are you going to talk about? Basically, what I like to be doing with my things on athletes is uh, you've got all your results on one page. And um, so here I've got a whole series of results. Uh, obviously, I've signed up to athletes. If you haven't signed up, get on it. On the right-hand side of your results is a little question mark. And what you can do there is you can click on the question mark. And I'm going to do that right now. Yep. And... What that does, you can basically rate your performance, you know, and say... Oh, whether, whether, wow, so you can actually say if it's good or bad. Yeah, you can say whether it was a little, um, whether it was just a, a training race, um, you can give yourself an A, importance, I'm doing a 10K race I did, it was a C yep. race. Performance um, out of five. Right, by performance, I'm going to give myself a, a three stars. So really? You, you said it was a bad race? Uh, no, I ran as well as I could to my potential. This is not the one I did the other day, this was uh, oh, okay. back in February. Um, and then you can give yourself a quick notes, a couple of quick notes. Sharpen say, up, John. Yeah, I can say. Uh, what are you going to say? Did not get checked. Checked. Oh, chickened. All right, chickened. Yep. Did not get checked uh, over a rolling course. Headwind both ways. 
Oh, as I'm hearing his excuses, John. Um, Anything else? Don't know, what's your next excuse? Uh, stopped to help a blind person <laughs> across the road. And yeah, if you've got some gear in your in your gear locker, sort of, uh, you can add what what gear you use for that particular event, and then you can go save. And I love uh, the gear locker bit. Yeah, so you can basically say what what's what gear you use. Um, the reason why it's quite cool is, is is that conditions thing is is quite an important factor when you're racing. And sometimes we forget about it on the times so you go back to you know, review your results and you go, which year was it that it was windy or which year was it was pissing down with rain? So you can give yourself a tiny little mini race report and uh, again keep all your results in one place and just a little summary of of stuff. You could say. I don't know, whatever you, what was memorable about that race, so you can go back and reminisce. Mm, well, yeah, no, like it's, it's cool just to have your races there and all the results, but actually, if you have a bit of detail as well, it is that thing five years down the track, you'll go, Yeah, well, I was pretty good for helping that blind person. Exactly, so, cross the road, and so, it cost me five minutes. I would have gone uh, 27.30 otherwise. That, that's right, watch out, Lee Brownlee. So check it out, athlinks.com. Here we go. So when you're when you're advising athletes um, in terms of their their race nutrition, how, how do you sort of work out what's going to be suitable for that athlete? Um, you know, there's all sorts of different formulas people use, but what 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 do you work? I use it's very simple. I stick to the rule of thumb: four calories per kilogram of body weight per hour of endurance exercise for bouts of activity lasting upwards of 90 minutes. So that doesn't mean that if you're training for less than 90 minutes that you don't need a gel or that you don't need fuel. You may or may not. There's certainly a time and a place to include some fasted training, which helps our body become more efficient, more able to get higher intensities. And I, I, do, I am a fan of doing that. However, I need to say that with a caveat. I'm not saying you should go on a six-hour bike ride on empty if you've never done any fasting training. Mm. So, and people sometimes take it out of context. I'm talking more about doing it, you know, maybe one or two workouts if you've got, you know, say you've got a one-hour really hard track session first thing in the morning on a Tuesday or an easy bike spin first thing on a Monday, that type of thing. You might want to try doing a fasted training workout. Um, but I use that formula for how many calories people need while they're training and racing, and it really, really works. Um, often I find the bulk of the people don't eat enough. In fact, they eat far too little. Mm. I'll hear things like, I did a half Ironman, and I, or sorry, I did a half marathon, and I had one gel. Or you know, people can't believe it. My, my weight is 52 kilos, and I'll tell them the amount of you know gels I'll go through at a marathon or the amount of calories, and they'll, oh, my God, you so you took in about 1,000 calories how, in three hours or something like that. You know, and I say, well, yeah, that's that's what you need because I'm putting such a huge demand on my body. It's You kind of have to view food, food as an IV drip. Mm-hmm. Um, I use that analogy. Um, you wouldn't picture somebody who was ill in the hospital uh, receiving morphine. Um, they wouldn't get a big jolt at noon on one day and then nothing until noon the following day. They'd get a drip. And food is like that, and both during training and not training. Um, that's why I recommend when people are, even on an off day, they're eating small, balanced meals regularly throughout the day versus a giant breakfast and then nothing for 12 hours. Totally. Well, what, when, you know, if you get an, a new athlete coming to you and, and they have they, they eat moderate, you know. Well, I don't know moderate's a bit of a, a a bit of a long quantum. But to say they've got a, a moderately healthy diet and they want to, to switch over to paleo, what typically what are the the biggest challenges that that, that athletes normally face um, with with making the switch? But that is the biggest change is, that I mentioned earlier is not knowing what to replace it with. So they'll cut out all the, the grains, dairy, and the legumes, and then they'll say. You know, and they won't. So as a result, not only are you get, not getting enough fuel in the form of starch, they're getting, they're just not getting enough calories. So if you if your breakfast used to be a bagel with smoked salmon and cream cheese and some berries, and you say, okay, well, no more cream cheese. I'm going to do fresh salmon instead of smoked, and no more bagel. So say you end up with 
a, you know, a small portion of salmon because most people tend to eat not enough protein either. Mm. So you, say you might end up with three ounces of salmon, you don't have the bagel, you don't have the cream cheese, and you still have a little bit of fruit and you realize that some vegetables are a good idea. You might end up having a 200 or, or 250 calorie breakfast. And then people will say, I ate my breakfast at seven and it's only nine, I'm hungry. And they'll, they'll quantify and they'll say, I shouldn't be hungry. And they'll sort of power through and try to avoid their body's natural hunger cues and wait to eat at lunch. And then, you know, as a result of not having had enough calories during the day, around three or four o'clock, they get this huge blood sugar dip. And then, then they, they feel, you know what, I'm just going to have to go to the coffee shop and get a, a mocha frappuccino and a, a scone. And it's, it's this cascade that sets up itself for a, a, a negative downward spiral. The thing is, um, because that person didn't add anything back in, First of all, they started the day out with too low of a calorie um, breakfast. So if they would have added um, a lot of vegetables and some more fat, people are really often afraid of adding too much fat for fear that it will make them fat. However, <coughs> fat in, good, good fat in and of itself is not going to make you fat. You're not going to gain weight if you had too much olive oil with your broccoli, for example. So that's the biggest, um, one of the biggest hurdles is people aren't eating enough and they're not eating in a balanced fashion. Um, and so as a result, their training suffers because they'll say, I came to the end of the day and I just had, I didn't have the energy to train. Well, it's because they weren't eating enough. Um, and another thing that they talk about in the Paleo for Athletes book is that, that it's normal to have a transitional period where you feel a little sluggish, a little low energy. Um, but that's only, it's a couple of days, and I went through it myself. Some, for some people it happens in the first week, for some people it happens in the second week. Um, that's normal. It is, that is not to say that you should walk around feeling starving. That's not, that's not normal, it's not acceptable. Um, nobody should walk around feeling starving. So if you're feeling hungry, it means you need to eat. <laughs> so basically, that, that's what was going to be my question. Is, is hunger a good sign that you should be having something? My feeling of hunger is kind of, I, I relate it to thirst. If you're thirsty, if you're out there on a run and you're thirsty, you, that's already a sign you're two to 3% already dehydrated. And once you start getting dehydrated, it's hard to catch up, especially if you're doing a race and you're working harder and harder as the day progresses. So similarly with hunger, and this takes some trial and error, and I work um, closely with clients when we're starting out um, to know how many calories they need requires their feedback. So we might start with a guesstimate. Say, for just for a nice round number, I might guess that this particular client needs 2,000 calories a day. Um, and if the, if the client comes back and says, you know, I, I ate all the food and I was still really hungry, but I didn't eat any more because you said not to, mm. then I say, well, no, I didn't say not to. I said, you need to let me know that this isn't enough calories because you should feel, you eat until you're, not until you're full, because if you eat, if you're still eating and then you feel full, wait 10 or 15 minutes, you're going to feel stuffed. Mm. As, instead, you want to, you want to give it about 10 to 15 minutes to register that you've eaten. So if you, if, if a client uses one of my meals and they still feel hungry this is what I suggest give it about 10 minutes finish your meal first of all don't make meal eating part of a multitasking experience so put everything away sit down enjoy the the presentation of the food enjoy how it looks smells tastes really enjoy it so it goes in until it really registers if after the meal you still feel a bit peckish then you just wait 10 to 15 minutes Maybe have some water, maybe go on a quick walk, you know, tidy up a bit. And then if you're still hungry, then have a little bit more of each item in any given meal. The, mo the more important thing, far more important than the number of calories is the balance of the macronutrient, which on paleo is roughly 40, 30, 30. Mm -hmm. Okay. You also mentioned there that adaption period of, of just a couple of days where you may feel a bit a bit crappy. Um, we had a question from Jackie Hagland. Um, she said... Uh, if you're five months out from an Ironman, is it too start too late to start paleo? So you know that was no. sort of the question. There is is 
how quickly can you adapt and and um, I don't think I don't think that's too close at all. Um, I, I think it really depends on how diligent you are to paleo. If if I have a client and they say I want to go on paleo, I'm just about to start a new job and I'm also moving, and then I have a trip around the world next month, I usually say as much as I'd love for everybody to go paleo now. <coughs> Um, that's not an ideal time to do it because you have to you have to hedge your bets most favorably for your success. If you're about to move, if you're about to start a new job, if you've got something hectic going on where you're not going to be able to plan, because planning and preparation is so crucial to success. Um, and I really suggest people go paleo for a hundred percent. And of course, you you know, there's a, a mention in the book about going eighty five percent. That's you know, that's your prerogative. If if you go paleo and find that you want to have something that's not paleo once in a while, you know, we're all adults. We can choose accordingly. My own take on it is, I know how awful I feel if I eat those non paleo foods, so I'm not interested in eating them, even if it is fifteen percent of the time. Um, but the point is, if somebody goes and they start paleo at 85%, that's enough to keep them from really reaping all the benefits. So, for example, like myself, if somebody has a, a latent gluten allergy that they didn't know about, and they go on paleo and they they say, I'm going to go 100%, and you know, two or three days later they say, well, I've been really good, I've been really sticking to it, I, I think I'm just going to have a little bit of bread. That little bit of gluten or the little bit of dairy or the little bit of soy is enough to keep your body really from healing um, to get as much uh, benefit from being paleo as if you were completely paleo. So I really suggest that you choose the time when you have the least stress, which of course there's not going to be a time where there's no stress. Choose the time where you have the least stress, where it's most conducive to you succeeding, where you can plan, where you can grocery shop. And it doesn't require a huge amount of time. I talk about in my book that if you just have two one-hour sessions a week in your kitchen just to prepare a bunch of healthy food so it's ready to go, um, that really sets you up for success. And then once you have a month under your belt and you, you've lost the weight or you have that great energy or your skin is cleared up or whatever the, the reason for you being paleo in the first place is, then it builds positive momentum and you want to keep it going on. Um, another question we had here, a guy who's just started out with it, Jonathan Shipman, he said, uh, when starting the paleo diet, will sleep quality and recovery suffer as the body adjusts to the protein-intensive diet? Recommendations on food intake to promote sleep is appreciated as I am in day four of the diet and have had a tough time going and staying asleep. Well, I think I want to clarify protein-intensive. A lot of people think that paleo is akin to Atkins, where it's mostly protein and, and little to no carbohydrate, and that's not true. Um, as I mentioned before, it's 40% um, in favor of natural carbohydrate, mostly coming from vegetables and some fruit, 30% each of fat and protein. So it's not that much higher in protein than the current recommendations that we have here. Um, the U.S. Food Pyramid recommends, unfortunately, only 15% protein. So it's, it's double that amount of protein, yet it's still only 30% of the entire diet. So it's not... Just to clarify, it's not just protein. And what the readers, what what he said is right. Um, if if you were to just completely cut out carbohydrate, you would probably affect your production of serotonin, which helps you sleep. So if if everything's balanced, um, then you shouldn't have an issue with sleep. You shouldn't have a, a, an issue with training recovery. In fact, it should all get better as your body is is literally burning clean fuel versus having to sift through a lot of the junk that's in many of the other um, products. Nice. So um, in terms of people, if they want to start making the steps to paleo, we've got the paleo diet for athletes, which we talked to uh, Lauren Codain about. There's also the paleo cookbook, what, what, where are some other, and, and as well as your website, which we'll talk about in a moment. But where are some other sort of first steps where people can, can, um, can go to just to find out a bit more about paleo specifically for athletes? Because I know there's probably a bit out there about the, the paleo diet, but specifically for athletes. Well, I recommend my, my current book that just came out, Paleoista, which just came out in May and is a bit, it's actually available in Australia as well, 
um, is I do address athletes and the different ways of fueling both for endurance training as well as strength or CrossFit. So that's a recommendation. I would suggest that the book is Paleoista. You can get it easily on Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com. Um, the, the books you mentioned are great, Paleo for Athletes. The Paleo Diet itself, which Dr. Cordain put out, um, I believe, in 96, that's just a must-have for anybody who's interested because he really outlines all the science. And so if you want to know why, just have a look at that. And then he and I co-wrote the Paleo Diet Cookbook together in 2010, which is fun. There's an athlete section in there, and I also have um, some recipes for athletes in my book, Paleo Easter. So I would recommend all of those. Sweet. Okay. And we also, you know, um, we, we talked about training peaks at the, the beginning of the interview and, and how people can use that for their training, but they've also got, obviously, nutritional tracking on there. So you can go on to training peaks. It's got all the foods imaginable um, on there, and it's also you can create um, your own specific types of food um, that, that you make up. So, But you've also got some plans um, with Training Peaks. Can you explain how plans work on Training Peaks uh, uh, and how people they just sort of drop into people's plans? Yeah, that's exactly how it works. And before I use Training Peaks to, to counsel my clients, I used it with my own coach, and that's how he gives me my workouts. And it's, you know, honestly, I use Training Peaks every day. Um, at least once a day, both on my phone as well as on my laptop. It's very easy to use. You get an email reminding you of what your workout is. Um, and if you have an account, it's easy to sign up. It's a free account. Hmm. And um, all you do is buy a plan and it populates um, it populates your, your plan. So sometimes if I have a client that already has a coach, the coach will share the account with me. And then I can go ahead and go into the client's plan and look to see what their workouts are. And then around that, I build their meals as well as factoring in, are they traveling? Do they have a business dinner? In which case, send me the link to the restaurant and I'll tell you what to order and that type of thing. But it's um, it does automatically populate. So you see exactly when you're eating, what the portions are, simple preparation tips, and it's really straightforward. And one of my favorite features, and definitely one of the most popular amongst my clients, is the, the shopping list feature, which you can easily drag your, um, go into your dashboard and drag the shopping list feature into the pod, nice. um, and then it just generates your your list for the week. So that basically will give you all the meals that you need to eat, uh, yep. basically all the way through the week. And, and how long does a plan typically last for? Well, most of my download plans that are pre-written are six weeks, yeah. um, and then I have a couple, if I do custom clients, uh, custom counseling, I do it as, as a month-to-month type of a situation. Sometimes people will buy a download plan, which again, it's written in advance, so it's not going to be suited to you and in, in, you know individually. Um, and often, often what people will do is the combination of buying a pre-written download plan followed by a one-hour consult either done on phone or Skype or in person for local clients. And during that hour, we go through how to fine-tune the plan to suit their particular schedule and how to move meals around and uh, how to let them um, basically, basically customize that plan that they bought. Sweet. So what's the plan for, for your rest of the year? Um, I saw a result that you're over in Kona um, this year for the 70.3. Are you going back for Ironman? Yes. I, uh, next on my schedule is um, the 70.3 World Championships in Vegas coming up in just under three weeks and then straight to Kona. <clears throat> Sweet. We'll have to catch up with you there. We'll be out on where, – where does coffee fall into the, uh, into the paleo diet? We'll be out on the Coffees of Hawaii boat. Oh, perfect. Yes, black coffee um, is, is definitely part of paleo. And it's funny because that, when I mention that to clients as well as the occasional glass of red wine, they'll sort of, maybe I can give it a try. Uh, <laughs> but certainly, you know, black coffee and espresso um, – 
obviously has antioxidants, obviously is the only legal ergogenic aid we can use in training. And I am certainly uh, not only a fan, but probably a, a self-professed coffee snob. So there you <laughs> I, go. I'd love to catch you out there. <laughs> awesome. We'll, we'll have links um, up to Nell's website, Paleoista, um, on I Am Talk. And uh, if you want to get in touch with her, she's got a blog on there as well. Obviously, contact us. And, and of course, you can um, buy her plans through trainingpeaks.com. So uh, very best for the rest of your season now and uh, look forward to hopefully catching up with you in Kona thank you so much for having me cool awesome that'll be good there I'll just stop recording what do you think John very good so uh, I think we've done quite a bit on, on the paleo diet well we had that so. period where it was very controversial in our yeah. show didn't we and we're, we're not sitting here and I'm not sitting here advocating the, the paleo diet um, but for me what it does is it really highlights uh, uh, an area where I think we can all improve in terms of having a healthier diet and whether you want to go down the paleo route and, and eliminate um, certain food groups because of what you've heard or what you've read then you know all good to you but I think we can all you're right there <clears throat> we haven't got water for you today, have I we? No. Jesus, where's, where's the waitress when you need her? <laughs> um, but I think for all of us, we can, we uh, can, almost all of us can probably improve our diets. And what, that's what I'm sort of hoping out of these interviews is that um, it just creates a bit more awareness for you and you can go out and improve your diet. Also, one of the things you know, I wanted to get out of this was um, really the, the understanding of how you can use training peaks for you know, looking at your nutrition, analysing your nutrition and actually tracking what you're doing because for a lot of people, um, getting their body weight to the right um, state is a real challenge and it's just another tool you can use uh, to help you sort of get down that path. So I wouldn't expect that people for the rest of their life are going to track every single thing they're going to eat um, but if you're going to do it in short bursts, it can be a really good, uh, a really good tool to actually get a reality check on what you're actually taking in and, and breaking down the sort of all the macronutrients. So, all good. What did you think, Bevan? Amazing, although I haven't heard it, but it was, it was amazing. Yeah, um, I, haven't, I haven't actually ever listened to it. So, apparently I find it really interesting. There's one book um, in particular that I think was pretty brilliant, um, and it's, it's, it's kind of, it's not paleo-based. It's more based around, well, I'll just, it's called uh, Why We Get Fat and What We Should Do About It, and it's a very, very interesting read, and, and it's kind of, he bases it on a lot of science, which I always think is really important. A lot of the books you read are, kind of just one person's idea and mm-hmm. um, and this book is, is very very good so if, if weight is something you're worried about you want to check out that book uh, Why We Get Fat and What To Do About It anyway uh, let's put some music on because we've got the history lesson coming oh, up we've got Coffee Safari first I think oh have we yes okay tell me about Coffee Safari uh, right this is another fact. Oh, the, the medical benefits. The medical benefits. Let's find a fact on here. Wives' tale. Contrary to popular belief, modern consumption of caffeine during pregnancy doesn't have any negative effects. We're going to do two facts today. Okay, but wait a second. That's good. Yeah. So if, you're, getting, if you're up the duff. You can still have coffee according yes. to this. Girls don't like being saying up the duff because a girl I knew the other day was pregnant. Mm. I go, oh, you up the duff, are you? Mm. And she slapped you? Well, not quite, but wasn't far off it. We're getting, to, we're getting to the end of these facts. It's the bottom of the page. There. We're going to need some new facts soon. There is a 20% lower risk of stroke for women who drink two cups or more of coffee a day compared to those who drink none. John. John, I've got a problem. Yeah, what's your problem, Bevan? Well, I've got lots of problems, John. Yeah. I don't know how I survive. But the bigger problem I have here is, based on this this research that you've you pulled out, and you've been... It wasn't me. I'm not going to take... Uh, well, it was, I think, based on this document that got sent through to us... Yes. Why aren't we seeing ads on TV telling us to drink more coffee? This is true. You know, because the percentages are massive. Yeah. Like, what was that percentage then? It was high. 
he's just, got to an age. He's not even listening to me. He's browsing. He's watching some photos of coffee being made somewhere in Melbourne. Yeah. But we'll go down to the bottom again. It was twenty percent, wasn't it? Twenty percent lower risk of stroke. Now, if this has been medically proven mm-hmm. and it's been researched, twenty percent is a pretty good chance of you know. And for a basic behaviour of just drinking a drink, mm-hmm. surely we should be having some ads on TV saying drink coffee. Go to Coffees of Hawaii. Albert, start, yeah, start, start paying for some more coffee. Coffee adverts on TV. If you, so if you want to live longer and you're a woman and you don't want to have a stroke, exactly. and if you're having kids, have lots of coffee, wire them up inside you because it's good for you. Exactly. And it's been medically proven by this document. Yeah, the medical benefits of being addicted to coffee. There we go. So... I wonder if there's any adverse effects. We wouldn't talk about them on this ad. So if you want to get your coffees of Hawaii, go to coffeesofwaii.com. If you want the promo codes, there's all sorts of good ones. Go to imtalk.me and you can check out our promo codes there. But you get yourself a nice healthy discount. So check it out, coffeesofwaii.com. Okay, over you on. Goodness, wake up. Oh, man, I'm tired. I'm going overseas tomorrow. So I'm going to, I'm jumping up back in 28th of August time. I'm, and I'm heading to, I've got to go to Sweden. So I've got, geez, it's going to take me a while to get to Sweden, won't it? Take a while to get to Sweden. I'm going a couple of days Singapore. Travel. And I'm going straight from Singapore to Sweden. Okay, so you've got about 11, 11 hours to Singapore. And the good thing is you go straight from Christchurch. That's good. Yeah, and then about five hours stopover. Yeah, and then you probably have another about another 12 hours to Sweden. So that's yeah. not too bad. It's when you have all those connecting flights at the other end, it's a pain in the butt. And then you've got to drive like... When I was going to um, Poland, per, per, yeah, Poland's bad, and, and so is the Pyrenees. Um, you know, you'd go Christchurch, Auckland, Auckland, uh. America, America, some hub in, in Europe, and into Frankfurt or London. Then you'd fly to your destination. Then you have to drive for about three hours, mate. You'd be travelling for like forty-five hours. Uh, bugger that! But still, yours is an honourable mention. Thank Get, you. Getting Thank to you. Europe is. But the problem uh, is, is you, when you're going away for a month, and I'm sure you've experienced this. If you're going away for a month. And you, and you actually want to have a holiday, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, obviously John and I, John's been great actually in, in letting me do this, but thank you. That's okay. Yeah, Permission granted to go on holiday. You, <laughs> but, you know, like to get the shows done beforehand, you know, we've got to get all that work done and we've got our running business and it's kind of peak season for us and, um, you know, and getting all that done. And I know Joe's probably stressed as crazy because we've got all this work to do before we go. And uh, you, you kind of go away and you're just so buggered because you had so much work to do beforehand. I think you're just being selfish and you shouldn't go on holiday. Be there for the people. Okay. Be there for the I'll, I'll cancel it Be now. there for the runners. I'll cancel it. And because I'm going to miss you so much. Yes. So I'll cancel it. There we go. Anyway, uh, here's some music for you. John's History Lesson. Love your work. So over the last few weeks, we've been doing a series on what really happened in the World Championships over the last, pretty much from day one. And uh, now we're going to be moving in through from 1995 through to year 2000, which was where we started to finally see the, the international athletes start to dominate the sport a little bit more. It was, uh, it was very interesting. You know, you look through here and you've got, it's all different cuts. It's, all, it's, it's off um, Yeah, like if you, looked, if you looked to, from this moment back, it was pretty much America, wasn't it? Yeah. It, was, it was America, America, America. Sometimes in the girls' races. Well, then you had Zimbabwe or New Zealand, basically. But it was, it was country dominant. It was one or two people dominating. Not one or two people, one or two countries yeah. dominating. And then, then this period, it's all over the place. Now, do you think this is the effect of the Iron War? You know, the Iron War happened in 1989, and, and you talk to anybody who came up through that time and they say, oh, I watched that Iron War and I was inspired, you no, know? No, I don't think so. I think it was just a, a fact that it was just the general growth of the sport was, it was just done on a But why did suddenly it become such a big European sport? 
Um, well, why was I, I, I really why did Europeans think... suddenly start to come on and be way more successful? It just I don't know. It just came. I mean, I don't think it was to do with the Iron War. It was just a sport that appealed to the Europeans. You know, they had mindset. Come from, from mindset because of the cycling component of it, um, an endurance-based sport. You know, the Germans seemed to love it, and it just really, really snowballed in the mid '90s. The, 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 the ITU was formed in '89, and then um, it started gaining momentum to get towards the Olympics. So by you know mid mid '90s, it was uh, basically had been was going to be an Olympic sport in Sydney. I can't remember the exact year that it was uh, announced that it would be in the Olympics, but all those things were contributing to a gain, gaining a momentum. The media coverage was getting better, so um, it was a whole variety of reasons. Um, John, yep, first year male. Mark Allen takes it out. Now we we had him on um, Legends of Triathlon for this month's show. So again, if you haven't checked it out, go check it out. It's a brilliant interview. But if we do say so ourselves, yes. And um, why did he retire? Like, because you've got to go, could he have won it again? Although, based on the next year's time, probably not. But could he have won it again? And if so, although next year was obviously a faster race, do you think he was motivated to get this even just to kind of go, you know, stuff you to mum, Dave Scott? Oh, who knows? We should, we should, we should yeah, have asked yeah, that Yeah, I kind of wish I, wish I had. But I guess you come to the stage in the career where do you want to go on top or do you want to just keep holding on for as long as you can? And he just, what else did he have to prove? And I think possibly one of the reasons was that race was such a monumental effort for him to win. He had to come from a massive deficit down yes, off the bike. 16 was, minutes? Was, like that. Ballpark, that sort of range. You know, somewhere around the 15-minute mark, 12 to 15 Yeah, I think minutes. it was maybe 12, but yeah. Um, and Thomas Hellregel didn't roll over and explode with a terrible marathon. He really had to nail at home, and he only ended up winning by, by two minutes and caught him on the um, the Queen K coming back into the, into the finish. So um, I think that probably took such an effort and he's going right can I ever race any better than that have I got anything else to prove I'm just guessing so yeah, I'd much rather go out on top like that than thinking oh can I get one more title can I get another one mm. um, often you look at those guys that do that and they end up flopping big time so, so you think he actually pulled out the right time oh yeah definitely so and in a great way 1995 Mark Allen took it out in 820 from Thomas Hellregel and, and Rainer Mueller Horner, which was, uh, he wasn't too far back in third either in, in 8.25. John, one thing around that is, when you think about the career of, of the Dave Scotts to Mark Allen, so Mark, Dave, Mark Allen started, what, in about 83? Was it, Probably was it something one? like yeah. that. So they did 12 years of Ironman. Oh, yeah. You know, like, you, you, nowadays you don't really see that, do you? Because the athletes tend to come from the, the faster distances and come out to Ironman. Sure, you've got the Cam yeah. Browns. Yeah. And, uh, but, but still, he had a long time and short course before he came across as well. So Yeah, no. but definitely had a long career, didn't he? Mm. 1996, uh, new course record. Luke Van Leer took the race out in 8.04.08 from Thomas Hellregel in second and Greg Welsh in third. And again, Thomas Hellregel got run down. And that performance by Luke Van Leer was nothing. I think short of spectacular he um he'd been sort of plugging away i think it was his, it was first time in kona um but that year he also finished second at the itu world champs um to to simon lessing and why didn't he go to the olympics um don't know what he was up to by 2000 he may have uh he was more, he was more of a long course guy, but although he was an exceptional swimmer he was often first out of the swim so i don't don't know the answer to that but he got he'd, second at the world champs Mm. 2006, and you know he wins Kona in 1999 as well. Mm. In 19, if he got second at World Champs in 1996, mm. you know, surely you think that for him the Olympics would have been a bit of a spark yeah. in front of him. But I'm not obviously quite sure. Not. 
but he was just spectacular. He was just an amazingly graceful runner. Was um, he? Just looked awesome. He was a fantastic swimmer, and then he covered anything that happened on the bike as well. So he did some amazing things in rote as well. Uh, so very, very impressive. And poor old Thomas Hellregel, you know, just thinking, what the hell's going on here? One year I'm miles in front of Mark Allen, and I get run down. Mark Allen retires. I've got a, I've got a shot here, and then he gets run down by some rookie on on Kona. So. Uh, yeah, interesting race. But then he came back in 1997 and Thomas Hellregel finally got the victory in 8 hours 33. Quite a tough year, obviously, in terms of conditions. But it was a German trifecta. Yeah, they would have been loving that. Oh, they would have been. And now, Hellregel was, was, you know, his nickname was Hell on Wheels and, and he was just an animal cyclist, wasn't mm, he? Just, just an axe on the bike. Mm. But very, he was, he was a weak swimmer, as often. Oh, was he? Uh, yeah, he was always coming down in the swim. And he was a good, strong runner, I think. He may have won a world duathlon title, or he, he got very, very close. So, very what, what kind of runner? Like a like a two fifty? Yeah, on, yep. his, on his very best day. I think I, I mean, we haven't got the splits here, but he, he would often run about two fifty five, coming off an amazing, it's just yeah, smashing it on his bike. bike. Um, so he was a good runner, and I think had he held back perhaps a little bit like the other guys, he would have run a lot quicker. Um, Jurgen Zach was second that year, and he was also one of the guys that, that never won Kona. He won Rote, he won a lot of races around the world, but similar sort of thing. He was a big unit, um, but he still ran really, really well, and he ra- he won a Zoffingen title one year, I remember. Um, so he was second, and both our leaders. Now, Jürgen Zek almost goes down as the greatest who never won Kona, really, doesn't he? He'd yeah, be one a of few. the kind of four or five yeah. that would be there, wouldn't he? Definitely. And Lothar Leder would be another one, wouldn't he? He would. He, Lothar Leder didn't have too many podiums in Kona, but outside of Kona, he was very good. He was another guy who was he was a big unit man, and uh, and he but he was one of the more versatile athletes. You know, he did well at Olympic distance, um, all the way up to fulls, and of course, he was the first man that went sub sub eight and wrote. So he's got to go down history on that one. It's really hard to talk about. Um, it's really hard to talk about different times and different years because conditions play such a big part in the, in the times at Kona but you know you look around the mid 2000s or mid late 1990s um, you know third place was 840 mm. third place was 832 you know like Relatively slow, really, wasn't it? Yeah, and we, I don't know whether that was conditions or what was going on, but this is where we saw probably the, the stagnation of times. You know, as you said, they came down to sort of the the eight twenty range, you know, eight ten to eight twenty, and uh, and sort of stayed there more or less ever since. Uh, last year we had the new course record, but prior to that, it's pretty much stayed. Yeah. There or thereabouts, and conditions have been what have dictated. Girls' side of things, we have seen a significant Increases, decrease in yeah. times, and not just Chrissy Welling obviously smashing everything. No, because before the board. that, Paula obviously dominated, mm. and uh, but then you look at Chrissy, and it, there's quite a few chicks now going super, you know, yeah. at that next level of speed, aren't they? Okay. So Peter Reed comes on the scene around two, uh, 1998, and Peter Reed, you know, goes down as one of the legendary. Yeah, he goes down as probably one of the top five athletes of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, was it? Did he come out of nowhere like he hadn't really had place before that I don't know much about him before uh, he'd, that he'd done short course um, not to any great success he wasn't a strong enough swimmer um, but so he'd been he'd been there or thereabouts uh, he won a lot of um, other titles he won Canada he won, um, he won Australia, Australia a few yeah. times uh, I remember so. when we interviewed him we, we, he, was, he was kind of like our first big interview wasn't he mm. you know and we had Melina on but we knew Melina but Peter Reid when we got him was pretty special for the show and I remember there was a stat like he, you know, of all his races, he'd only finished outside the podium maybe twice in his career. Like he'd had a pretty phenomenal career. Mm. So awesome race, and he'd beaten Luke Luke Van Laird, who was, you know, a lot of people at that stage thought he was he was unbeatable. And Peter Reid went out and did it in pretty convincing fashion, winning by seven minutes. Did and Van Laird not race ninety seven? Uh, yeah, there was one year there was some real issues with uh, I don't know. 
drug controls and all that sort of stuff. Uh, okay. uh, and so uh, there was one year where he, I know he didn't race, whether it was 97, I'm not quite sure. Um, Lothar Leader was third in 98. Moving on to 99, 99 Luke Van Leer came back and took it out. He um, basically reversed the, the year before, took it out in 8.17 from Peter Reid and, and Tim DeBoom. It was the first time we saw Tim DeBoom on the podium and he was in third. And then in 2000, Peter Reid got back on top and uh, in 8.21 from Tim DeBoom moved up a place, 8.23. And then the first time we've seen Norman Stadler um, show up on the results there and he was there in uh, 8.26. So only five minutes covering the top five in 2000. And and that's really where we start to see the, the rivalry between Deboom and Reed. You know, mm. you know Reed won it in '98, but Deboom wasn't really there. But then the next year it was Reed and Deboom for second and third, and then Reed and Deboom for two, you know first and second in 2000. And, and as we go into next week's show, you'll see how Deboom had a bit of a successful period from there forward as well. So interesting times, a bit of an evolution in the sport around this time for the guys, wasn't there? And the Ger- the big thing was the Germans were were on their way, and the Germans, you know, pretty much they start you know. 95, they had two on the podium, 96, one on the podium, 97, three on the podium, 98, one. So really they were putting their hand up as, you know, somebody from Germany was going to get a medal most years. Who's the best German right now? Best German Ironman, Andreas Strelert. Oh, yeah, of course, Andreas and his brother. Yeah. Um, Interview time, Bevan. We've got to go off and do an interview for our show for a couple of weeks ago. You guys won't notice we'll be back in a second. Which we are. We're back here right now, and uh, we, we started talking about the girls. 1995, Karen Smiles took the race out in 9.16 from Isabelle Mouton from France, and um, one thing that really is highlighted on what we're looking at between 95 and 2000 is third place is, third place know, is green. it's so obvious, isn't it, Fernanda Keller? Other than, other than 96, Fernanda Keller finished third every year, <coughs> so um, incredible. Did she ever do any better than that outside of those years? I don't think she ever beat got better than than third, but we'll wow. find out in the next one. But I'm pretty sure third was the best best she got. But uh, she had an incredible run of top tens as well in terms of yes, she got third that many times, but also her top ten record is is pretty impressive. It's a bit frustrating when you get third every year, but mm, totally. you know it is, when you look at 2008, she was only two, like a minute behind as well. So mm. you know most years she was actually oh no a couple of years behind in a few of them, but. Yeah, to get third five times in six years would be a kind of ripped your undies, wouldn't it? It would. She would have a few pairs of ripped yep. undies. Yep. 95 was an interesting year because Bevan and I, I just pulled up a YouTube clip when we were about to start back into it, and that was the year that Paul and Yubi Fraser um, exploded. There was a little YouTube clip with four miles to go. She had a three-minute lead. She came through an aid station and uh, got some water. Then she tried to almost put her head in a bucket of ice and uh, stood up and started running and ran straight into a volunteer and just... <coughs> KO'd herself. Yeah, she was KO'd, wasn't she? Take your earphones out now. No, no, I like to leave them in there. Okay, just just for the look. Yeah, it's fashion. So she KO'd herself. She still had a three-minute lead, and that was on um, on the Queen K coming back into town, and then. just capitulated um, and was totally out of it. And by the time she got to Lee Drive, she was she was she was gone burger, wasn't all she? over the road, yeah. couldn't stand up. And then she basically just had to fell over and had to sit down on the side of the road for however many minutes she did. And so fifteen and, and, wasn't it? It was a while, yeah. wasn't it? And but she, she finished the race, didn't she? Oh yeah, she got like fifth or sixth or something like that. So. That was the year Karen Smyers ran through and took the race, and that really for Karen Smyers, you know, she that capped off an incredible career for her. She had won 
um, world titles. She'd been consistent over every different distance, and she was one of the American sort of sweethearts. So it was really good to to see her take the victory. Ninety six, Paul Newby Fraser came back and erased those demons and won in uh, in nine oh six from Natasha. The first time she we saw Natasha Badman on there, she was nine eleven and Karen. It was changing the guard, really, wasn't it? Yeah, Karen Smiles was there in third in nine nineteen. Nineteen ninety seven, Heather Fuhr's only victory. Um, fantastic runner, terrible swimmer relative to what she could do elsewhere. She'd won lots of other Ironman titles, but she took it with a ten minute victory over Laurie Bowden and Fernanda Keller in third. Ninety eight, saw Natasha Badman's reign sort of uh, start. Start. Uh, she won in nine twenty four over Laurie Bowden and uh, Fernanda Keller, and also Natasha Badman was uh, again, relatively speaking, she was a horrific swimmer and came back with these incredible bike rides and uh, and really good, strong, consistent. But she was how, how slow was she in this one? She was like an hour ten, wasn't she? Or something she yeah, like that. Yeah, I think she was. She, she was, she was very slow, yeah. and then but was just a mean bike runner, yeah. eh? Incredible, just a really slight, small woman as well, but just on the bike. She beat just, you, didn't she? She did. Yeah, broke just, your heart, didn't it? Yeah. She didn't want to get checked. Well, she caught me on the bike. I mean, I I, I had issues on the run as well. But she caught me um, sort of round about the airport coming back into town. So you got, got I don't know, five or six, no, maybe no, between 10. five and ten k's yeah. to go from from that point on the bike. And she caught me and passed me, and um, and yeah, well, very impressive. And she would have been at least ten minutes behind me um, uh, out of the swim, if not fifteen. And uh, so very <laughs> that, that, that break your heart because you hate being checked. Oh, I didn't. Heart was wasn't in any state at that stage anyway, so it didn't, didn't bother me too much. Very impressive. Uh, so that was uh, 98, and then 99, Laurie Bowden, um, not, not quite sure what happened to Fernand, uh, Natasha Badman that year, and uh, Laurie Bowden had a great victory over Karen Smyers, and Laurie Bowden as well, she set some incredible run course records in Kona and elsewhere in the world, but she was one of the ones that really started to ramp it up and do some sub-three-hour runs over there. It was very Yeah, this is the year that Peter got second. They were a relationship at that time, weren't they? They were together. Mm. So she won and Peter got second, and... and um, yeah, it must have been a very interesting dynamic because the year before she got second and Peter won, <laughs> and then the year afterwards Peter won and she got second. But I, I'm not sure what stage they broke up. But um, it would have been an interesting dynamic, you know, like you get mm. second, you'd be gutted, but then your partner wins. Mm. You know, a, a, few, a while ago on the show we had that. You know, what do you do when your mate has a bad race? Mm. And uh, how do you respond to that? But then, what do you do when you come second? You're gutted, but your partner wins. It's a hard emotional thing to go through, isn't it? Totally. Yeah. You must see it, see it quite a bit. With her. Like I remember when we interviewed Marinda Carfrey, um, when it was Tim O'Donnell's um, first Ironman last year, oh. uh, good old Batman. And, mm. um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, uh, and she had a good race to get second, and she was the <laughs> champion. You started the interview with this, anyone call you Robin? He's like, why? <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Um, and she had a good race for second. Obviously, got beaten by Chrissy Wellington, but um, and Tim O'Donnell had a had a DNF. So yeah, kind of uh, tricky one. Yeah, so that, that was uh, ninety nine. Laurie Bowden from Karen Smyers and Fernanda Keller again, and then in two thousand, Natasha Badman was back on the uh, the podium on in the winning place. Nine twenty six from Laurie Bowden's nine twenty nine, and Fernanda Keller nine thirty one. So pretty good close racing there. You know, um, a small explosion there could have been anybody's race. But Natasha Babman, you know, she's got to go down as, well, she, of course she goes down one of the great ones, but she was um, successful for a long period of time. Now, did she win six? I'm pretty sure you're right. We'll yeah. find out next week. Mm. She, she, you know, early 2000s, she really dominated the female race. But the only downfall, the, the one criticism, God, for someone who's won it six times, you can't really be that critical. She wasn't as super fast as a Paula or a Chrissy, was she? 
Oh, she won't go, you know, if you're going to rank it, you'd say Chrissy, Paula, Batman. Yeah, probably, possibly. Aaron would be, Aaron only had two victories there. Yeah. Um, well, outside of Kona, Aaron would be right up there amongst those 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 girls as well. Um, and she beat, you know, Paula was the queen of Kona, but outside of Kona, Aaron Baker would beat her consistently. So yeah. when we're talking Kona... We're just talking yes, Kona here. Yeah, she would. Um, but she, her, her bike and her run was... It was just she was so far back out of the swim. Well, you look at the year she lost to Paula, she lost by five minutes. And now I, I, can't, don't, I don't have the splits in front of me, but I can imagine Paula would have easily swam mm. five minutes on her. So, yep. you know, like, yeah. Very impressive. And she started uh, into triathlon quite l- relatively late in her career. And she's still going now. Yeah, she, um, she wins every Africa or get like a podium. Yeah, 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 I think she got second or third. Yeah. Um, and so she started quite late in life. Uh, no, she wasn't late in life, late in life into triathlon. Prior to that, she was a duathlete. Let's get her on Legends at some stage. Yeah, well, she's... Um, we could try to catch up with her in Kona, maybe, yeah. but uh, different, different kind of athlete. Brought a different sort of feel to the feel to it as well. A little bit, um, well, very, very quite happy, quirky, yeah. quite quirky, and always smiling. So it was just an interesting one. So that was ninety-five to two thousand. Next week is two thousand to two thousand five, and then we can do two thousand five. So once we get into the two thousands, I think it's a lot fresher in our minds. Yeah, so two thousand five is kind of we know what's happened. Yeah. So there you go. Um, sponsor. Extreme endurance, and uh, so just a little. What am I going to do today? What am I going to do today, Bevan? What are you going to do? You're going to do extreme endurance, and you're going to talk about yeah, just deciding. What are we talking about? The main product we haven't talked about in a while. We have not talked about that for a while. So if you want to get yourself some of the the original extreme endurance, go to xendurance.com and get it. You're gonna get it. That's what he's doing right now. Yeah, if I could spell X endurance. You've got X endurance. Yeah. Like a ninja version. Let's see if uh no my have I spelled it right this time? No, still haven't no. spelled it right. So let's let's spell it out, shall we? Yep, here we go. X endurance yep. com. Good. I can do that now because I've got a an iPad. Yeah, he's got he's got a keyboard to go with his iPad. I have. That was quite good to get the keyboard. Yep. This is great podcasting. I've got some really fast guy on the homepage. No, that's the guy. That's the American guy who got second at the Olympics. Really? Yeah. I know my stuff, John. Nice. Well, where do I want to see him? He's a friend of Brandon Del Campo's. He got second at the Olympics. What did he get second in? In the marathon. Really? Yeah. In truth. Yep. Look. Ex-endurant athlete and four-time Olympian. Abdi Abdurahmahana uses extreme endurance daily. No, it's not the American guy. Okay. I didn't think so. Great podcasting. Great podcast. Okay. Extreme Jones, you want to get yourself some uh, $39.95 for a um, container that's basically going to last you a month. So it's a pretty inexpensive way to try something that we get consistently good feedback on. So get on it. Go to xendurance.com, $39.95, and, uh, and you're on it. And you're going to be less sore and you're going to be faster. Well, you know what? Anecdotal evidence from our, our, our it's listeners. Overwhelming. Overwhelming. John's phone's beeping. Well, that's telling me our next interview's coming up. Well, 15 minutes. But we're here. I know. You don't need an alarm. Right we're here. here. Right now. Right here. That's a good song to have a race, isn't it? That's my number one on my playlist. Is it? Do you know uh, the week, D- Dave Dwan? Dave Dwan, he's, he's giving me crap about my playlist. He wanted to get a bit of. He wanted to get my a bit, playlist. No, no, it's not. It's my playlist. Oh, no. this week I'm um, wrong. No, but Dave's been giving me a bit of crap about the playlist, saying, oh, I've got to, I've got to get my stuff in there. So Dave puts his on. What do you have? 
it was good music, but it wasn't race music. You need. Right? There's been a bit of sort of the exponents and uh, some classic Kiwi stuff and yeah. all good music. Not disputing that. Yeah, but at race, you, you need energy. You need uplifting beat. Yep. Yeah. And so then after the race, some lady comes up to me and says, "Where can we get that playlist from? I want to. Can I? Can I buy it off you? Or can I? James use, playlist. No, my, oh. my playlist. Saying uh, it's awesome. Can we? We'll sell it. You fundraise or whatever. I said, oh, well, I probably can't. I probably can't really go. You probably should have been playing that year. You've been paying royalties, so <laughs> yeah. that's what you talk about on the show. I didn't have any music. It was just basically all. It quiet. was you singing, wasn't yeah, it? That's yeah. why it was so good. Yeah, yeah. it was amazing. So if we want to get yourself some uh, extreme endurance, I'm sure it will help your singing voice as well. Um, it, it, seriously, it does everything. It does everything. Uh, Thirty nine ninety five. And you can try basically that'll give you a month's worth of trial. So get on xendurance.com if you're in the UK. Um, they've got different distributors over there. You can basically select your country and you're away laughing. Good times. John, you've got nicknames here, but you've got no one's nicknames. Uh, well, I've got the spreadsheet in front of me. I thought we, 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 need to, we needed a bit more on this, um, this here. So you can think on the spot. Oh, well, thanks for that. Come up with a couple. I've got a couple. Have you ever come up with? That one there. How do I make that bigger? There yep. we go. You can do that one there. Andy Slate. Andy Slate. I'll do Bodie Morris. Uh, I think we've done that one. Bodie Morris and Mojo Rising. Um, yeah, it was mine. I like that one. You, you do. You think Andy Slate and I'll... Uh, Slate or... Andy Slate, I think it is. Okay. Skinny. Andrew Skinny no, Slate. Skinny. <laughs> uh, okay. Racing Sardine. There you go. That's it. No, that's it. That's what they used to call me at the swimming pool. The Racing Sardine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you need to update the, the thing. You can do I it now. Do. I can't. You can. No. No, that's just a viewer. Uh. So Andy, the racing sardine slide. I've got this is this. I don't know where I don't know where you're from, Steve, but it's Steve War, and I could not resist going down the cricketing path. So if you're not a New Zealand or Australian or Palm or South African, you don't know who Steve War was. He was a captain of Australia for a long period oh, of time. Legendary cricket player. Legendary cricketer. So Steve Centurion War. Nice, nice. You need to. Oh, you've Next done one. one. Is Thomas Galvani. For oh, you, you can think up there. Have you got another one that you've done? Uh, with, with regular contributor Don's really good at this He gives himself The regular contributor ones No I'm giving it to you Oh Well it's silly But it's already been done I don't have to make it up Okay You give me Who we're going to make up Thomas Galvani Okay give me a second You, you talk I'm doing um, The last one I've got here Is Paul Hellings And um, We've got this company In New Zealand Called uh, Hellers Which is like the butchers and Yeah they make, good They do make good meat and, uh, and so I was thinking Paul you're going to You're going to be Carving people up there So I'm going to call you Paul, the butcher Hellings. The butcher. The butcher. Okay, wait, what's my name I had to come up with? Um, Thomas Galvani. Okay. Um, something around fundamental, John. Something so, around uh, fundamental. So, yeah, something around fundamentals. Maybe. Um, um, how about, you know, why don't we go big nasty? There you go. Yes. Big nasty. Yep. And uh, Colin Milne. You know Colin? Colin Milne? I'm not sure if we did that last week or not. I can't remember if we've done Nicholas Cook, but I'll give you a bit of love again as well. Nicholas, the big ticket cook. Nice, the big ticket. Is that, is that yep? Yep. Um, Colin, the dagger. The dagger. Yes. There you go. Nice. So basically all you guys um, that are donating, all the money goes into our Kona fund um, to get us to Kona each year. And uh, we're only two weeks away from going. So if you guys want to... Donate to the show, go to imtalk.me and we've got a little uh, Kona button on there and you can help us get to Kona.